Welcome to Be More Super, the podcast. Up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. An action-packed podcast where we'll discuss all things entertainment. You're the answer to are we alone in the universe? Conventions, prop collecting, cosplay, interviews, reviews, and so much more. The show starts with host Brian Gardner right now. So on this week's episode of Be More Super, the podcast, we've got Hollywood royalty. I would go through all the films this man has been in, but I think we'll be here till 2022. He's been a Golden Globe nominee, an Oscar nominee. It's, of course, Eric Roberts. Eric, welcome to the show, sir. Hello, everybody. (laughs) And how is everything at your end where you are with everything? Because the world is pretty crazy at the moment. It's crazy in the UK. Uh, how, how How is it where you are? Well, Brian, it's a whole new way of life, and we're learning how to um, how to have our meetings and our auditions and our get-togethers and our and our and our pre-production just like we're doing this interview. Excellent, excellent. That's, that's, that's good stuff. As long as everyone's keeping safe and uh, you look you're looking after yourselves, and I'm sure it's wonderful to have a bit more time with the wife and uh, your lovely cats which is great but we're here to talk about your amazing career that has spanned many many decades and I've got to say as I said earlier to you I've been a fan since I was a small boy uh, which I will go 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 over because there is a funny story about uh, how I became your fan Um, so I you know I read somewhere so we're going to start with this I read somewhere that you had a stutter when you was a small boy and I also suffered with a stutter and I had speech therapy for many many years so it's quite interesting to hear that you actually suffered from a stutter how did that affect you getting into the business the industry well Brian it's because of my stutter that I am an actor primarily and that's because when I was a little boy and they'd go around the room and each, each child, you would read either either a line or a stanza. I would count the kids. I would count the lines of the stanzas, and I would memorize mine. And if I memorized it, I could speak it without stuttering. But if I didn't memorize it, it was very, very slow, 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 slow getting it out. And the class would laugh. What what do you say, Eric? All that stuff. You know, you went through it as a stutter. We all had to do it if we stuttered. And but if I memorized things, I didn't stutter. Mm. So that was my first acting exercise: was memorization to uh, to speak. And mm. uh, it was from that 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 I that I found the uh, joy in in uh, playing other people in other times, in other, in other, in other histories, and having fun yeah. with it. Yeah, of course. I mean, I uh, also went into performing arts. I went into acting uh, because of my stutter. Because I found that if you had a script and you knew what you was going to say, that stutter mysteriously went away. And that's the reason why I started this show that I'm doing right now, is because I wanted to challenge myself. Because when I get nervous, when I get excited, the stutter comes out. So I've been challenging myself to speak to my idols like yourself um, to work on not stuttering. So um, I think I'm doing all right. I don't know. What do you think? Have you heard a stutter yet? 
I love hearing that story, Brian. That's fantastic. And no, and even if I even if I had heard a stutter, we 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 only notice them because we stutter. You know, people don't really notice mm-hmm. them. They're just a little stutter, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't matter. But yeah. they're so personal to us because of the challenge we had to do to overcome that. And so Good for you, Brian. Good for us, man. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so, you know, your fam- your fam- family, was it your your mum that was in the arts? Um, uh, you know, was she in the arts? Am I reading that correct, correctly from my research? My mom was an actor and my father was a writer and they met at Tulane. And uh, uh, at Tulane is a, is a university in Louisiana. And uh, they uh, they went to college and together, and um, and they moved back to my father's hometown, Atlanta, Georgia, and my father opened up an acting school called the Actors and the Writers Workshop, and he patterned that and he patterned it after Joe Papseeder in New York. We had a showmobile, and we toured underprivileged areas all week, and then and then we have theater in the park every weekend on the weekends, and so that's how I grew up for. 15 years, I did 8 to 12 plays a year, just like that, and um, that was my life. Awesome. And what inspired you to get into acting? Was it that acting school that got you into it? Well, my my father actually opened the acting school uh, uh, for me. (laughs) I look back on it now, I can see that. And uh, But uh, we, we we were sponsored in part by the Martin Luther King Foundation, and uh, our uh, our showmobile, you know, taught me in our touring about other walks of life and other people. And uh, and uh, it was just it was probably the greatest education any child could ever ask for. That is awesome. And how challenging was it to make it in Hollywood back then? You know, compared to now. I mean, what was the biggest challenge you faced when trying to make it? Well, I was very lucky. I never moved to Hollywood up until I had already become a movie star. I, I, I got my first movie called King of the Gypsies in New York through auditioning, through screen testing, all in New York, with a very famous writer-director named Frank Pearson. He wrote and directed Cat Blue. He, he did he did Barbara Streisand's version of A Star is Born. He, he, he won an Oscar. I think for Cat Ballou. And he and he wrote and he wrote Dog Day Afternoon, all kinds of great movies. He was a legend. And he was my first writer-director of a feature film. And um uh he took care of me. And um uh it's uh he made my first experience as a movie star incredible. Yeah, because at only twenty-one you you starred in King of the Gypsies and you start opposite, you know, pe- people like Shelley Winters and Susan Saradin and, and, and Sterling Hayden. How was that? How daunting was that for your first movie? Well, I was scared every day. Let, let, <laughs> let me tell you a story about, about Sterling Hayden. Uh, I'd been working for three weeks. It was all day shoots. And th- then we had a day off and now we're going into night shoots. And the uh, the uh, the first scene we're going to shoot in night shoots is when my grandfather, played by Sterling Hayden, comes and he finds me, and he has his henchmen grab me, and they throw me in a car with him, and we have a talk about our lives. And um, so I was excited, Sterling Hayden. Wow, I can't wait, you know. 
and I got to work early, which I always do. I'm in my trailer, and I get a knock on the door. Mr. Hayden would like to talk to you. Ooh, cool, I can't <laughs> wait. I put on my costume. I go to Shirley's trailer. I knock on the door. Come in, open door. Shut that door, young man. I do. It reeks of hashish smoke. He is smoking a pipe. Have a seat, young man. I do. He said, he smoked his pipe. Do you smoke pot? I've been known to. I like pot. This is hash. I'm smoking. I was talking hash tonight. So what are you shooting tonight? I said, scene 87. Scene 87. I know the number. What happens in that scene? So I told him it was a very pivotal scene, blah, blah, blah. He said, that's a very pivotal scene. That sounds very important. How are you in improvisation? I said, I'm okay with it. Good, because that's what we're doing. All right? All right. Now, are you sure you don't want to get high? I said, no, sir. Okay. I will see you on set, young man. (laughs) And we shot all night. It was all improv. And it's one of my favorite scenes with an actor I've ever shot. And and when you finished that movie, what was the biggest lesson that you learned that being your first ever movie? The biggest lesson I've ever learned about show business, period, I suppose came around that time and it's this. You must treat everybody you meet like they're going to be your boss next week because they might be that is that is very very true and very very good words <laughs> i'll remember that next next time i meet someone uh, they definitely could be my boss next week um so talking about auditions you know from your career do you you know do you have to audition anymore because Surely Eric Roberts is world fame famous. Your catalogue of movies is unbelievable. Do you audition now? You're so cute. Uh, I auditioned up to my first movie, <coughs> and then for like 15 years, everybody just offered me movies. And then, and then uh, it would go in and out. They would uh, because it would be younger. It would be you know producers and writers who are younger than I am, so, so they didn't know my work, and they would say, we'd, we'd, uh, we'd love to hear you read this. Would you read it for us? Sure, yeah. But then came HD. No more film. They, uh, they, uh, they took our medium away, and they gave us that homely HD, and all the executives were all under 30. So they didn't know who Eric Roberts was, and when they did, it was because you know their moms liked me. <laughs> and so uh, it was a whole new world. And so they... Um, they asked me to audition, and uh, I love auditioning because we have it in our favor now. We get to do it till we get it right because it's just this machine and us at home. Yeah, of it's course. A great, I love at-home auditions now. There, there is no pressure. You don't have these strangers in a room who would rather be somewhere else, but they're in a room with you watching an audition. You don't have any of that pressure. You just have this. You just have... Are you satisfied with it? Great. Then you'll send it. So you're actually sending work you know, that you're proud of. It's a wonderful, yeah. wonderful method we've stumbled onto because of COVID. <laughs> and can you remember your very first audition and how it went? I can. I can remember it very well. It was for, it was for a TV movie about two guys in the South who were uh, hung and they were innocent. It took place in about 1930 and 
I was supposed to play some kind of Southern boy, you know, and um, I went ready for it. And they asked me, are you really Southern? And I said, yeah. Well, then why even the accent? Because it don't sound real. But it is real. That's how they tell. No. Anyway, thank you. And that was my first audition. Wow. <laughs> they thought I had a bad Yeah. And the rest is history. And talking about your life in Hollywood, you know, looking at IMDb, it is you you have got to be the person with the most amount of credits to their name. It's over seven hundred titles to your name. And looking at IMDb Pro, you apparently are filming so many films this year, it's unbelievable. How do you have the time? How how do you plan it all out? And how do you have the energy to do all those movies? Well, let me tell you a little story. In 1993, my wife says to me, Eric, darling, if you could do anything every day of your life, what would it be? I told her I'd be on a movie set. On a movie set, she says, that's not going to happen. Anyway, blah, 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 blah. Then 2003 comes and she goes, you know, everybody's starting to, to buy their own cameras. So everybody has their own, own actual studio. And they're actually doing their own movies, you know, by themselves. And they're calling for you a lot more. Shall we start to investigate these things? I said, sure. And it was rare then. And then about five years passed. And from 2008 until 2018, my wife told me one day, okay, we're getting 12 to 15 offers every single day from people who now own cameras. Now, they don't have distribution deals, but they want to make a movie. Do you want to go pursue this? Because I could have you on a movie set, your long, your 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 long loving wish of being on a movie set every day. I, we, we can go do that. I said, let's go chase it. So from 2008-ish to about 2018, that's where I made all those movies. Because I, I was I was literally on a set every single day somewhere. And uh it was just, I, I, can't, I can't convey how wonderful and fulfilling and pleasurable and just entertaining my life has been. Wow. Wow, that is awesome. And, and, you know, I suppose it's good to be a busy actor and always working and keeping that craft alive, I suppose, which is great. Um, so when I became your fan Eric I I think I was about 11 12 12 years old and it was best of the best you see my dad was ex-military I was only brought up by by my dad he was ex-military and he was a karate teacher so I grew up around martial arts and my dad had an arrangement with a local video store that I could you know rent out any movies doesn't matter what age they were I could rent them out as long as they didn't have any rude stuff, you know, any 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 sex or anything like that. I was 12, 12 years old. And right. I basically, every week, I rented best of the best. And oh. I must have rented it about 20 times. I rented it so much that the, the man at the video store actually gave me the copy because he found it was that. it was so unusual and then i watched it so so much because i was quite a recluse when i was younger because i got bullied quite a lot because of my stutter uh, and because i was a a big a big a big boy you know uh, so i got uh, you know bullied a lot so i was inside and i was watching 
best, best of the best. And it got to the point where my VHS recorder actually chewed up the videotape and it broke my heart. It absolutely broke my heart. <laughs> but one of my favourite uh, scenes is, is, is near the end where you, you're, you're the edge of the mat and you're shouting, Tommy, no. Every single time I am, when I was a kid, I was stood up on my feet shouting at that screen, shouting, Tommy, no, because that film teaches you oh. so many good lessons about, you know, you know, humility and, and it's just a wonderful movie. And of course, best of the best too, as well. Um, so, so well, I just wanted, wanted, wanted to, to my eye. Well, you just Sorry, brought what tears that? to my eyes. I said, you oh. just brought tears to my eyes, literally. That was a wonderful story. And what I love about it so much is the fact that I, too, am affected by that movie like that. Oh, it's just brilliant. They don't make them like that anymore. They really, really don't. Um, so in that movie, you know, you're, you're a martial, uh, martial artist and you're representing the USA. Do you still you know, training martial arts. Are you still act, act, active within within martial arts? I trained up until my first hip, which was eight years ago. I got a titanium hip. And then um, I would I would I would still stretch and I would still reach and I would still do 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 stuff alone. But I I I, I never sparred after that. Then I got my second hip, my second titanium hip about 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 a year ago now. So um, now, even stretching is a, a whole new ball game. So I'm not a martial artist anymore. Uh, I am. I am an old guy who is trying to learn to re-stretch his body. That's really the long and short of it. <laughs> but how wonderful is that? Modern me me medicine, getting a new hip and a new lease lease of life. Because I can, I uh, you know, my mother-in-law, she's had both both her hips done. And uh, before she couldn't walk a hundred yards without having to stop. Now there is no stopping her at the shops. So uh, yeah. she's doing very, very well. So it's nice to hear that you're doing well and obviously is an adjustment. Uh, but again, you've oh. got all those great movies to look back to, you know, hey, uh, you yeah. kicking people's backsides. Oh, my uh, hip doctor, when he, when he took my x-rays, he's holding the, uh, he's, holding them up. And then he goes, Oh my God. And he says, uh, you're a martial artist. I said, how'd you know? And he said, you all end up on my table. <laughs> <laughs> how funny is that? So, so obviously, you know, going back from like the, the late seventies, eight eighties, how have you noticed Hollywood has changed as, as, as Hollywood changed in the way of the machine, the way they produce movies, how they treat, actors and actresses how has that changed over the years from your eyes well here's what happened these are just in the facts these aren't really 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 opinions artists ran hollywood um for the most part so when you have that you have huge mistakes and huge successes and um and uh, but it was expensive you know you know you know, look at, you know, Mike Chimino, Heaven's Gate. He brought down a whole studio because they, uh, they, uh, they trusted the artist. Okay. So over time then, slowly, less and less artists ran Hollywood and lawyers run Hollywood completely now. They own it. They run it. It is their business. 
So they, so, so they took our medium tone. They took it away. And they gave us a very cheap, very homely medium called HD. It's not attractive. And a lot of women retired because it was so ugly. So, uh, but, but, it's, uh, but it's very cheap. And your technician does not have to go to school for it. He just, fl- he just, he just flips the switch. And so it's made everything much, much faster and much, much cheaper. Hence, your lawyers running Hollywood. So that's what's happened. Oh, and, and would you want to ever, if you had a time machine, go back into time uh, as where, where you are now and work in the industry back in the, eight, the, the, the 80s compared to now? If there were magic, I would go back to the, I would, I would be a movie star from 1929, the, uh, the, uh, the, the first talkie year to 1949 that's when i would want to work those those 20 years because you had you know the war effort you had america when it liked itself in the very most and uh and it, it was it was it was a kinder place in the world because there was less bad news Mm, yeah yeah of course it, it, you know what it's sad is is isn't it because you know the past is always a better place to be um and obviously we've got to start changing the future um which is the thing about covid i think that hopefully fingers crossed the majority of us are going to realize and appre- appreciate contact with other people during you know covid so when it's over you know we're going to be hugging our love, loved ones, you know, a bit more, and, and we're going to appreciate things a bit more. And I can't wait to get Don't back to the you cinema. know it. Exactly. So what's been the biggest drive in your career? What's driven you through your immense career? Well, it's just having, actually, having this privilege of being allowed to travel the world and be welcome everywhere because I'm recognizable at my age now. And they say, oh, Eric Roberts, please come in. And <laughs> be, it, be it a restaurant, be it a set, be it a home, I am welcome. And it's the most wonderful feeling on the planet to have accomplished that. And, uh, um, and also, I am now old enough where I am working with who I consider to be kids as my boss as my boss says. And it's great fun for me because I also realize how really immature I was at that age. I was not near <laughs> up to their speed. And uh, so I'm having, 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 having the best time. I just got through working with a kid named Gina. I got to go to Makaresh, Morocco and uh, do a little bit for a wonderful new young kid. I think he's only, how old is Gino? He's like 25 or 26 years old. And, uh, uh, we just had a blast making a movie for him. And, uh, and he's going to be a big noise, I feel. It's only an opinion right now. It's not a fact yet. But he, he's going to be a big noise because, he, you know, and I get to go to, go to meet these kinds of people who I would never know otherwise. Yeah. So that's really that's half the driving force. And the other half is I just love my vocation. I mean, I love being an actor like I love my wife every day and talking about your lovely wife she's also your manager um you know 
how is that relationship, you know, uh, because obviously, is she, you know, behind every great man, there's a great woman, as they say. Uh, well, greater woman. Um, you know, what is she like as 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 a manager? Does she keep you in check? Well, let's uh, let's uh, fix her face first of all. <laughs> we don't have a woman behind us anymore. Okay, <laughs> they're, they're right beside us. So, so uh, that being said, no, no. Uh, my wife is my hero, and I'll tell you, it, there's a lot of stuff involved in being a hero. But but just to cut to the business end of it, I got a call about. 18 years ago from an agent's assistant who had a little crush on me, you know, and she says, Eric, they're turning down all these things that I'm telling you, and it's really a lot of stuff. I said, have you got a list of it? She goes, yes. So I said, can I have that list? So she gave it to me because when you, when you, when you fire a blue chip agency, it's a problem for you because, you know, why'd you break up with the agency? And the agency will say their opinion, which isn't always good. And so I called in the agents and I said, guys, I'm going to fire you. But before I do, let me tell you why. Because of all these movies you turned down without ever telling me. And they're all a bunch of small, cool, wonderful little movies I would love to make. And no, they don't pay great money, most of them. But I'm an actor. I'm not a banker. Okay. And they, so, but because of the, of the, of the, of the threatening lawsuit, they never hurt me. So I went home that day and I said to my wife, you're the boss. Hmm. And my wife goes, I can't do this. And I said, you know, you've been doing it anyway. So yeah, you're going to do it and you're going to, and you're going to manage it. You're going to be the boss. You're going to tell me what to do, where to go and why. And she goes, okay. So it sends from that day to this, she's my business. She's my hero. She's my manager. She's my wife. She's my roommate. I would hate to be her. But uh, but it's 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 worked great and it's a lot of fun and we've seen the world for free a couple of times. Awesome, awesome! And you're coming up to next year your thirtieth anniversary, if 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 I'm right with the maths. Um, so thirty years that you're going to be married. Is that right? You're one year off. It'll be twenty nine oh. next August. That's close enough. Close enough. Close, close, close. What is the secret of a, a a happy marriage because I'm I've been married now nine years and I've got two lovely girls um, and a lovely stepson as well um, you know so if you could advise me on what the secret of a happy marriage is because I'm very happy I'm besotted I really am if you are then you know the answer and the answer is very very simple it is two very basic very wonderful things and that's this it is honesty you must find that that permanent level of honesty with your mate that you will always talk to them you will always allow them to talk to you and it will always be completely honest you must have the other thing is sex you gotta have it and you gotta have it to make her happy and to make you happy. And then if you have both those things, you're going to probably stay married forever. See, I'm going to show with this interview and I'm going to say, Eric said, no. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> but, awesome. See, but, see, but, see, but see, you already know that. See, yeah. you know, 
anybody married over really four, five, six, seven, eight years, over seven or eight years, you know it's about honesty and affection. And if you have those two things, you are complete. Definitely, definitely, complete, complete, completely agree. So it would be rude not to mention your lovely kids. So we've got Emma, Morgan, <laughs> and Keaton. Um, you know, how successful are they in what they do? I think it's fantastic. Emma with a career, Morgan with a a, ba- a, a bakery shop franchise, you know, empire that I'm sure she will have in the future. And Keaton with his music career and now scoring movies, which I think is absolutely amazing. I mean, how proud are you to have such a, a litter of amazing talent oh what a great thing to call the kids a litter uh i i love these kids these kids are so cool and my daughter just had a child of her own you know Rhodes. uh oh, right. yeah. her son yeah and so uh so and in fact it's only been it's only been a week and uh so um uh, yeah uh the kids are all monsters what they do Keaton is a genius. Morgan is an incredible chef. And my daughter has become an incredible actor. Who knew? And uh, and uh, I'm just, they're all so different from me and their mom that it's so much fun to watch. And it's so <laughs> satisfying to know them. And uh, uh, I love going to the movies, even though we don't go anymore. I love watching the movies and actually watching my people, my blood on screen. It is the most, uh, what's the word? Selfish thing I can think about. <laughs> it's keeping that legacy alive, that legacy that one day when they're in this position, they'll, they'll, they'll be talking about you, I am sure, um, as getting these amazing things from. But uh, Talking about fans, you are very generous with your fans, I've got to say, you know, on your Instagram, on your social me- me- media, and now Cameo, which I think is a wonderful way of, of, especially in COVID times, in you connecting with the fans. How have you, how have you been enjoying doing Cameo? I love Cameo for the same reason, a reason I love it. At home auditioning, it's so controllable now. Fans, um, fans, we all need them. We all want them. We all pursue them. And sometimes, because they're access now to you, it gets strange. But my wife gave me a great education. About one out of five of my movies, about twenty percent of the movies I make, are because my wife sends me because the uh, the uh, movie maker needs my name for the bank loan or needs my name for distribution, whatever it is, but it's just to help. It's not to, to be an actor as much as it's to be a name for, for, for the filmmaker. And, uh, at like first I'm like, honey, I'm tired. I made, I made, I made three movies this month and I would like a day off. And why? Well, no, you have to go do this. But, <laughs> but, but, but then I started enjoying it and I started realizing what my wife was doing from, an emotional point of view. I started really realizing that these young kids, uh, it doesn't matter that I'm Eric Roberts. It just matters the, uh, the, uh, the value that I bring to their project. But m- my wife has 
sending me with that value to uh, to give away, to uh, to be a help. And it's the most satisfying thing I can possibly explain. I, I just, I, I, I so love my wife for this because it's, it's about giving back and it's about being kind without a reason, without, without, without them having, having done something first. Mm. And uh, it has taught me a little bit of grace. And uh, uh, my wife is very graceful. That is so nice to hear. It really is. And I know the fans are very grateful uh, for, for, for you and to do Cameo. I think, I think, I think it's stunning. Um, are you planning on once, because obviously your, your calendar, calendar is obviously very full this year. If COVID decides to, you know, to do one and to go away and, and, and let us live our lives. Um, do, do you have any conventions planned uh, to go to go to, to meet the fans? Do you do, do, you do conventions? conventions? Are you kidding? There's so much fun. They're so gratifying. And, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you really get to it to meet and to hang out with all the peeps, but it's dangerous now, you know, of so course. we have to wait. Yeah. And I will wait because one day is my aim that if you come over to the UK, I will have a best of the best poster for you to sign to have on my wall because that will absolutely make my year, my decade uh, to have that on my wall for sure. I would love to, Brian. That'd be so cool. Let's just stay in touch. And then yep. when, I, when I am in the UK, we'll, 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 we'll make that happen, Brian. Oh, that is wonderful. And um, quickly before we end this wonderful interview, uh, I've got two more questions. So if you could go back in time to your 18-year-old self, what advice would you give him? With knowing everything I know now. Yes. Say no a lot <laughs> less. That is that I'm sure that that it would be good for for many things. Um, I mean, do you do you do you believe in regret? Do you believe in regrets in 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 past lives, or do you think they're they're not worth anything? Oh no, I believe I believe I've lived many lives, and I'm still trying to get it right. Uh, uh, oh, for sure. <laughs> And uh, uh, definitely for sure. And lastly, um, if you could give any advice to all the fans and listeners and viewers out there that are struggling with all this COVID at the moment, you know, what advice would you give them to, you know, to keep, keep, keep going? It's an overused phrase. It's been badly abused, so it means almost nothing to anybody. But the, uh, the Beatles said it best. All you need is love. Definitely. Definitely. I couldn't agree more. Eric, you've been a great you know, guest and it's definitely a tick off my bucket list uh, to have a bit of time with you. You look after yourself and Eliza. Both keep safe. Uh, keep that love alive, which I'm sure you will because you're, 
you're like a perfect couple in all interviews um you know so <laughs> fingers crossed in 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 30 years time or 29 years time you know uh, touch wood that me and my wife uh are like that so i'm sure we will be uh, but eric thank you so much look after yourself keep safe love and respect You've been listening to Be More Super, the podcast. It was kind of a crazy, fun experience. I love the show, guys. You're awesome. Listen, my whole family loves it, man. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to hit the subscribe button and share with your super friends. In my world, it means hope.